You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake Box, and I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and so glad that you're uh, joining us this morning. And uh, we, you know, this is a great Sunday to be joining us because we're starting a new series uh, this morning that we're calling Compelled, uh, Why We Do What We Do. And uh, let me just tell you on the, from the beginning here why we're doing this series. One of the reasons is just because following Jesus in Austin and as a, you know, UT student is, uh, it's not that easy. <laughs> you know, see, Austin uh, doesn't share the culture that uh, Dallas or Houston shares, where it's kind of popular to be known as a Christian. Instead, following Jesus in Austin often feels like swimming against the tide of the culture, and that can feel hard, right? So why do it? (laughs) Especially right now, during a pandemic, because, you know, pandemics seem to make just about everything harder. It's one of the things I've learned about uh, through going through this pandemic. They kind of make everything harder. And so even gathering to worship Jesus is harder, right? I mean, most, if not all of us felt that uh, this morning before we logged on to Zoom. We're thinking like, do I really want to do this, (laughs) right? Another Zoom session, uh, you know, worship gatherings via Zoom are just not exactly any of our favorite things. So why do it? Why love and serve Jesus? Friends, why not uh, just live for yourself and do whatever you want to do? If someone were to ask you that question, how would you answer? Tuesday uh, of this week marked the seventh anniversary of Midtown's charter service. On that night, 38 people committed to partner with God to start a new church with the vision of seeing the day when every man, woman, and child in Austin hears the gospel from someone who loves them. And the majority of the people that signed the charter that night had sold their homes in the suburbs of Austin in order to move into central Austin so they could live next to people that they believed God had sent us to love and to serve. Now, why did they, and like, why did Krista and I, we were part of that, why why did we do that? And why would we as Midtown Church continue in that mission, even when it would require sacrificial service from us. Like, why, why do that? Why give up comfort and our privileges in order to serve Jesus by serving others? See, when you are trying to do something that is not easy, and when it feels sacrificial, it is incredibly important to know why you are doing what you are doing. For if you lose sight of the why, then you will lose motivation for the what. And so to kick off our fall semester, which is beginning today, even though it definitely does not feel like fall outside, we're going to spend uh, the next three weeks getting clarity around why we are doing what we are doing. And we're going to do that by looking at John chapter 13 together. And let me just say, I am extremely excited to look at this passage with you because it is so 
powerful. You could say it's very compelling. All right, so let me give you the context. You want to go to John 13. We'll also have slides up here, but before we get into it, let me just give you the context of this passage, right? So Jesus is at the end of his ministry, and he is gathered to share the Passover meal with his 12 closest friends. And so Judas is there, and Peter is there, and John, who's recording this story for us, he's there. All the rest of the disciples, his 12 disciples, are there. And that's worth noting because within a few hours of this meal, Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas, and he's going to be handed over to be killed. And he's going to be tried by a kangaroo court. And Jesus knows that Judas is about to do this to him. And during the mockery of a trial, Peter is going to deny that he even knows Jesus. In fact, he's going to deny, Joe, deny knowing Jesus, even being associated with Jesus three times. And Jesus knows that that's what Peter is about to do. And then in less than 24 hours from this moment that we're about to look at, Jesus will be crucified on a Roman cross. And while he is dying, the rest of the guys that he's about to eat with will all abandon him. And they will run and they will hide as cowards. And Jesus knows that. And so with that in mind, look at what Jesus does. John chapter 13, verse one says, it was just before Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And again, Jesus knew that. Jesus also knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. And so he, and let me just pause there because I do not want us to miss this. Like just imagine, if you will, for a minute that you're at a dinner with 12 of your closest friends. You know, like back whenever we actually were allowed to get together for dinners with 12 of our closest friends. I don't know if you can imagine, like remember that that far back, but imagine that you're at a dinner, 12 of your closest friends, and you know one of them is going to betray you. And you know one of them who claims to be one of your best friends is going to start denying that he has anything to do with you. And, you know, the rest of your friends at this dinner will abandon you into your greatest time of need. And now imagine that God the Father has put all things under your power. Like, in other words, God has given you uh, power over everything. So you can, like, literally do whatever you want. What would you do? <laughs> Have you ever been betrayed? Ever been rejected? Ever been abandoned? How'd that make you feel? What would you do? See, I, I think about that. I think, uh, I think about the scene from uh, of Infinity Wars, you know, the Avenger Marvel movie, where uh, Thanos gets, you know, snaps his finger and uh, all the people disappear. I think, yeah, you know, if I had all power, maybe that's what I would do if I was in that situation, but that's not what Jesus does. And friends, this is like, this takes my breath away. 
This is so powerful. Here's what he does, verse 4. So he got up from the mill. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had wrapped around him. So in the moment when he knew all power and authority was his and that he could do whatever he wanted and the traitors and the betrayers and the cowards were in the room, he washed their feet. As verse 1 put it, he loved them to the end. See, that amazes me. Because when I think about people who have hurt me or betrayed me or abandoned me, I tell you, humbling myself and serving them is the furthest thing from my mind. But Jesus, the Son of God, doesn't power up. He doesn't lash out with righteous indignation. Instead, he kneels down and he serves. And he voluntarily places himself in the position of a servant, in the position of a slave. And in doing that, Jesus models what a true love really is. See, according to Jesus, love is much more than just an emotional feeling. That love is a verb. It's voluntary, intentional decision to serve another ahead of yourself. That's what love is. A voluntary decision to serve another ahead of yourself, whether they deserve it or not. And these guys absolutely did not deserve it. But friends, this is how Jesus loves. Unconditional love that's manifested through service. And so he washes their feet. But there's actually a lot more going on here than just that act. But see, this act of service, as incredible as it is, was more than it appeared. For like the Passover meal that they had gathered to eat, this act of foot washing was intended to foreshadow Jesus' ultimate act of love and service. And that's drawn out in his interaction with Peter next. Look what happens. So verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? Which, guys, is the right response. <laughs> when Jesus kneels down to wash your feet, you should say, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing down there at my feet, Jesus? You, you shouldn't wash my feet. What? Like, that, that's crazy. You, you, don't, you shouldn't be washing my feet. And Jesus replies, well, you, don't you, don't, you do not realize now what I am doing. But later you will understand. Like later it's going to click for you how this foreshadows what I'm about to do. But Peter doesn't understand. And so he says, no, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Like, there is no way I'm going to let you do this, Jesus. I mean, if anything, I should be washing your feet. You shouldn't be washing my feet. This is, this is crazy. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. And then Peter's like, okay. He changes his tune. He says, well, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Like, man, <laughs> if I have to be washed by you, well, then wash every part of me because I want to be as associated with you as possible. I mean, that's what Peter is thinking here, which is really wild. Because, again, 
And just a few hours from this, Peter is going to deny even knowing Jesus. Like three times, he's going to try to completely disassociate from Jesus. Like if you keep reading in John chapter 13, you see that Jesus already knows Peter is going to do that. And so if I was Jesus, I'm hearing Peter say this, like, give me, why don't you just give me a whole bath? I just want to be as close to you as possible. And I'd be thinking, dude, you are such a fraud. I'd want to snap my finger, watch him blow away. (laughs) I would at least want to pick up the bowl of dirty foot water and throw it on Peter, right? Be like, get out of here, man. You're just such a fake. But Jesus, he says this. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Like, Peter, I'm not, I'm not going to give you a whole bath. That, that's kind of weird. But here, I'm going to wash your feet. And he does. And in doing so, he gives Peter and he gives the rest of his friends a picture, a foreshadow of what he was about to do on the cross and why he was about to do it. So that later, they really would understand. See, there's a place earlier in John when Jesus says this. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. And in that statement, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm under no obligation. No one can make me lay down my life. If I do it, then that's my choice, my voluntary choice. And friends, I think that's a big part of what Jesus is showing his disciples here in John 13. For everyone there was shocked and amazed that he would voluntarily wash their feet. He didn't owe anybody this. It was by no means expected. In fact, it was the last thing any of them would have ever expected, which is why Peter's saying, Lord, what are you doing at my feet? Like, this isn't right. What are you doing? And then, less than 24 hours later, Jesus will have nails driven through his hands and his feet. And his friends will eventually understand that, that that too was an intentional, voluntary decision to serve others ahead of himself. That Jesus laid down his life on his own accord in order to love and serve them, the betrayers, the deniers, and the cowards, so that he could love and serve them and love and serve the whole world at his great expense, dying so that we could be one. Wash clean. But they didn't get that yet. And so, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, and then he asked them a question. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? And I'm sure that they were thinking, uh, yeah, uh, well, we understand that you just washed our feet, which is really weird, because why would you do that? Like, why, of all people, like, why would you do that. And it's as if Jesus knows that that's the question on their mind. And so he emphasizes that point. Like, why would I, like, think about who I am. Why would I do that? Look what he says, verse 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Like, don't let it be missed. Who is the one who has served you? Like, I'm the one with all power and authority. I'm the one who has the right to order you guys to serve Me, don't forget that. Don't miss who it is that has served you. And then he says, if I, if I, 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That I have set you an example that you should do as I have done, but he doesn't stop there. He adds, for you. And friends, it's in that statement that Jesus gives his followers the ultimate reason for why they are to do what he has called them to do. Do you see it? See, the reason why, he says to his disciples, the reason why you should do what I'm calling you to do is because of what I have done for you. And then the next day, with those words still ringing in their ears, they would watch Jesus carry his cross to Golgotha and lay down his life. And soon after that, it would begin to dawn on his disciples what Jesus had been really talking about that night when he washed their feet. And reflecting on that, John would eventually write these words in his letter, 1 John. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. We love, that's what we do. But why? Because he first loved us. And his disciples would spend the rest of their lives worshiping Jesus and following Jesus' example and loving and serving others, even to the point of most of them losing their own lives on his behalf, all in response to what Jesus had first done for them. But friends, Jesus didn't just do that for them. That what he did for them, he also did for you and for me. Which means the reason why we do what we are to do as followers of Jesus is for the same reason. It's because of what Jesus has first done for me and for you. As pastor and author J.D. Greer puts it, he says, the motivation to do comes from only from, uh, comes only from a deep awareness of what God has done for you. The motivation to do comes only from a deep awareness of what God has done for you. And friends, the deeper your awareness is of who has loved and served you, that it's the Lord, your God, the Almighty One, the Alpha and the Omega, the Creator, the One from, through whom and for whom all things were made, the One with all power and authority. And the deeper your awareness of who He has served, like namely you, that He served you, He served me. People who just like His first disciples had he had no obligation to serve and every right to write off due to our our sin and our rebellion, our going our own way. And the deeper your awareness of how he has loved and served you, you know, not holding on to the privileges of being God, but instead voluntarily serving as your substitution 
on the cross, dying in your place for your sins so that you could be reconciled to God and gifted abundant life in him, that he has served you, not just dying for you, but in his death for you, that he has freed you from the, uh, from the penalty of sin, and that he's freed you from the power of sin, and that he's promised in his death that he will one day free us from even the very presence of sin. Like the deeper your awareness of who has served you, and that he served you, and how he has served you, the more you will be compelled to do as he has done for you. See, for a passionate follower of Christ is someone who hears Jesus' words, his words of, if I, if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you too should wash each other's feet. And they think, oh my goodness. If he, if he would do this for me, and you let it dawn on you, you think, if he, my creator God, would do this for me, oh my. Look at him, friends. Look at him and say, oh, servant king, what are you doing down there at my feet? What are you doing serving me? It's me that should be serving you, friends. Look at him kneeling by your feet. Look at him, your Savior and King, hanging from a cross. We don't deserve this love or this service. Look at him and see him loving and serving you. And then let him compel you to love and serve him by loving and serving others. Think about the old song, Amazing Love, How Can It Be That You, My King, Would Die For Me? Or as the Apostle Paul would put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Why? Why no longer live for ourselves? <laughs> because he died for us and was raised again. May his love compel us. Friends, this is why Sunday gatherings are so important to our church family. Because on Sundays, we gather together to remember and to remind one another that we have been loved and served by God himself. For it is the astonishing fact that God has loved and served us that compels us to love and serve him by loving and serving each other in Austin. And I know, again, I know, I know, I know that online services are not ideal. But if he would serve us to this extreme, we can serve him by worshiping him in this way. But even more than that, we gather on Sundays because we need this reminder. 
See, we need to remember through our songs where we sing and the scriptures that we read who has served us. And we need, to rem- we need to remember through the message and by taking communion each week how he has served us so that we will be moved to love and serve each other's with him. Because, listen, loving your roommates and loving your classmates and your spouse and your kids and your coworkers and your neighbors isn't easy. And taking up the cause of the oppressed and the marginalized isn't easy. And intentionally seeking to demonstrate and declare the gospel to our city and our campus so that every man, woman, and child hears the gospel for someone who loves them, that isn't easy. But friends, how Jesus has loved and served us is powerful. And as our awareness of what he has done for us grows, as it deepens, then God empowers us and he propels us to love and serve in a way that can change relationships and heal a hurting city and literally change the world. So let's begin spending spending each day with God and remembering the gospel and looking at Jesus loving and serving you. And then let's make it a priority to gather each Sunday to help each other remember that. Because that's the why behind our what. To put it in my most Dr. Seuss fashion, this, I read this to Krista, she just cringed, but maybe it'll help you remember. The why behind the what we do is what Jesus has first done for me and for you. The why behind what we do is what Jesus has first done for me and for you. See how, see how it rhymes? Sketchy. It's like, Jake, you're, you're a genius. But guys, this is, this is it. This is why we do what we do. It's because of what Jesus has first done for me and for you. For we're a family loved and served by God and compelled to love and serve each other and awesome with God. Father God, this is love. Not that we first loved you, but that you loved us and you sent your son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins and that Jesus, our Savior, our King, that no one forced you to lay down your life, but that you laid it down on your own Accord voluntarily placing us ahead of yourself, serving us to the extreme, that you would be forsaken so that we could be forgiven, or that you would wash us clean through your body being broken and your blood being spilled on our behalf. Jesus, we ask that you would help us grow in deeper awareness of who has served us, how we've been served, and who you have served. That we would have a humble and a realistic picture of who we are. And Lord, that we would be floored by the fact that you have loved us to this degree. 
And Lord, that it would compel us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for the one who died and was raised again. God, we, we want to join you in loving each other and loving our city. God, thank you for first loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.